Welcome back to the Deion Gordon Podcast. On today's podcast, we'll be talking about Week 10 in the NFL football season, officially in the books after that shitty game on Monday Night Football with the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears. Minnesota winning 19-13. The Bears are absolutely pathetic. They have no offense whatsoever. Nick Foles knocked out of the game, carted off the field with a hip injury late. When he, was, when he was on the field, he wasn't doing shit anyway. What is it about the Bears? The Bears, historically, have never had a quarterback that could play. Never. You might have to go all the way back to Sid Luckman to find the only good Bears quarterback. What, what does it say about your team quarterback history when the greatest quarterback you ever had was Jay Cutler? Like the Bears are one of the longest tenured teams in the NFL to date back to 1920. They're one of the original teams. And throughout their history, they've never had a dynamic offense, never had a quarterback. Their team identity has always been defense and special teams which was on full display on Monday night. Cordero Patterson had a 104-yard kick return for a touchdown, which gave them the 13-10 lead. Cleo Mack played out of his mind, as he usually does. He had a pick in that game. Constant pressure on Kirk Cousins all night. But when your offense is so terrible, so anemic, so impotent, to illustrate how garbage the Bears' offense was on Monday night, the Bears' offense only amassed 149 yards. Their punter, Pat O'Donnell, had 221 yards on five punts. Nick Foles had no answers for the Vikings' pressure and too high safety coverage, usually checking it down the entire game and just throwing it away or just running, trying to run pathetically for his life. Even when he had a clean pocket, he only connected on 13 and 17 passes for 90 yards and had an interception of his own. You know, head coach Matt Nagy told everyone that he was the answer. They got off to a 3-0 start with, with Trubisky at quarterback, benched him, put Foles in the game, and they've been on a downward spiral ever since. Not saying Trubisky is the answer because Trubisky is also garbage, but people still believe in this, this myth about Nick Foles. Foles got into a great situation in 20, 2017 with Philadelphia. Carson Wentz did all the work for him, first 13 games of the season, and set him up for success. Foles had two good games in that playoff run. But you still have people out here who are talking about how great Foles was and trying to evaluate him and still – talking about him like he's a great elite quarterback in the NFL when he only had two good games. Now, granted, one of those two good games was in the Super Bowl, the biggest game of the season. You know, you look at the way Jacksonville gave him all that money last year. He was a bust down there. Chicago brings him in. They bench Trubisky, put Foles in. Like I said, they've been on a downward spiral ever since. They're 5-5 five and five on a three-game losing streak. Foles can't play. Nagy, Nagy can't play call. A lot of people were at fault for the pathetic offense in Chicago. Nagy runs... A great value, Dr. Topper, Mountain Rush version of Andy Reid's offense. A lot of RPOs and just quick slants. Can't take shots down the field. Don't really, I mean, you have Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson's a great player. He's really the only real weapon you have in Chicago, but it doesn't really help when the play calling is also shit and the quarterback is mediocre, as Foles is. So I don't know what they're going to do going forward, but it's a shame to see such a great defense be, being wasted by an absolutely pathetic offense. as, he, But like I said, that's historically been the case in Chicago. Great defenses, great special teams play. You know, Devin Hester back in the day did, always did his thing. But you have no offense. You can't generate any points. You have no creativity, no imagination, no innovation in your offensive play calling. It's like the Bears have some secret contract with the NFL that it is not allowed to have a great offense ever at any point in team history. But let's give some credit to the other team. Uh, Minnesota won the game in 19-13. Kirk Cousins, congratulations to Kirk Cousins. His first ever victory on Monday Night Football. It only took about nine tries. 
10 tries, actually. He lost his first nine games on Monday Night Football. But Kerr was able to get the win on Monday night, played very well, especially on third down. He was 10 of 11 on third down for 149 yards, two touchdown passes to Adam Thielen, both in the red zone on third down. Bears had a great game plan to target, take away, and limit uh, Vikings running back Dalvin Cook is the best player on that team, the best player on their offense. Monday night, Dalvin Cook had 27 carries for 91 yards, not his usual dominant performance, but 27 carries are good. He able to control tempo with the run game. Uh, rookie Justin Jefferson, the best rookie wide out in this Star-studded, loaded wide receiver class that came out in 2020. Eight catches for a buck 35. His fourth 100-yard game already in his career. So this dude, like I said, he's in a great wide receiver class that came out. You know, Chase Claypool, Brandon Ayuk, Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs. You got great receivers all over that 2020 draft. Justin Jefferson has established himself already, so far anyway, as being the best out of that bunch. So Minnesota 19, Chicago 13. Let's move on to another game. Raiders and Broncos, AFC West rivalry. Not much of a game. Raiders 37, Broncos 12. Why can't John Elway find a quarterback? That's a question people have been asking for a long time. The only quarterback he found was a very old Peyton Manning who came in and had success. They played in two Super Bowls, got blown out by, by Seattle in Super Bowl 48, 43-8, and won Super Bowl 50, 24-17 over the Carolina Panthers, but that was with an old Peyton Manning at the end of his career. John Elway has not been able to draft, evaluate, and grow a young quarterback in the Denver Broncos organization. You look at guys like Paxton Lynch, you look at Brock Osweiler, Chad Kelly, and now you can add Drew Locke to that mix. I'm not impressed by Locke. He had four picks in this game, only averaged 5.5 yards of throw. Uh, he looked rattled. He looked terrible. He's been up and down all season, but mostly down. Uh, Broncos are three and six right now. They're twenty fifth in the league in scoring. You know, somewhere near the bottom in scoring. Elway cannot find a quarterback to replace himself. Number one, his own shadow, bringing in Peyton Manning, who created another shadow. But for whatever reason, John just cannot get it right in that position. I think it go. I think it correlates with great players aren't always great talent evaluators. You know, it's kind of like how Michael Jordan can't find great players in Charlotte in the draft. You know, the Hornets' record in the draft is always terrible because, usually, well, usually Mike will just draft somebody out of North Carolina. Uh, if someone played for the Tar Heels, that's good enough for Mike and then get a spot playing for the Hornets. But great players aren't always great talent evaluators because for guys like Elway and Jordan, they look at someone, like, Elway might look at a quarterback and say, well, why can't you just do what I did? Just launch it 70 yards. Just have a rocking arm. Just have the ability to make every throw. Just have a quick release. Just do what I did. I did it. It was, it was easy when I did it. Why can't you do the same thing? It's not that simple. Not everyone can be John Elway. Not everyone's going to be Michael Jordan. And for both of those guys, if Elway for the Broncos, the search for a, a, the franchise quarterback hasn't resulted in any, any type of success as far as drafting a young quarterback. Drew Locke looks terrible. Uh, he looked awful on Sunday versus the Raiders. Uh, on the other side, Derek Carr for the Raiders, 16 25, a buck 54. Not big numbers, but zero turnover worthy plays, dropping dimes all over the field. And when the other teams quarterback those four picks, you really ain't got to do a whole lot. Uh, so he took care of the ball, managed the game, did what, did what he needed to do. Carr was playing at a high level a couple years ago uh, before he broke his leg on that Christmas Eve game versus the Colts. 
And since that, he's been kind of up and down, kind of in the middle somewhere. But with Carr, you've always seen the talent. You've always seen potential, a guy who could be your franchise quarterback. And I think that's why the Raiders have always held on to him because realistically, as far as the free agent market was going, you never really saw anybody that would be a clear upgrade over him. And they've stayed committed to him, a commitment to excellence for the Raiders, I guess. And it's bared out this season. Raiders are playing good football. That's a playoff team in my eyes. They got a big game this Sunday night versus the defending world champion Kansas City Chiefs. Raiders are the only team this year that have beaten the Chiefs. So the Chiefs going to be out looking for revenge. Matter of fact, story came out this week that Andy Reid, head coach of the Chiefs, was a little bit pissed off about the uh, Raiders team bus taking a victory lap around the parking lot in Kansas City uh, in, in the immediate aftermath of the Raiders beating the Chiefs. So that's going to be a fire-ass game. It's going to be interesting to see the fireworks take place this Sunday night in Vegas between the uh, Raiders and the Chiefs. So Raiders 37, Broncos 12. Broncos are fucking terrible. Figure it out, Elway. Let's move on to another game. NFC least action, least, not east, least. The 3-5-1 Philadelphia Eagles. This is why I call this division the NFC least. The Eagles are in first place with three wins, five losses, and one tie to a football team that won two football games last year. Get this entire division the fuck out of here. The NFC least is one storied and proud division with so much tradition and history and great players and rivalries and moments. This overrated division. It's sad to see what's happened to the NFC East. This division used to mean something. Now, if you're an older fan listening to this, you think about football in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Think about the run this division went on from 1982 to 1995, where the Redskins won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. The Giants won two Super Bowls, 86 and 90. The Cowboys won three Super Bowls. Eight Super Bowls won in this division that used to matter and used to mean something, used to have great football being played in it. Fast forward to 2020, and the first place team is 3-5-1. and one. Fuck the NFC East. Nobody from this division should even be allowed to make the playoffs. The sad part of it is that whoever wins this pathetic division will probably be about 6-10, and 7-9, Maybe, maybe if you stretch it to eight and eight. No, not really. I don't see eight and eight. Six and ten, seven and nine. They're gonna have a losing record and win this division and host a playoff game in January. That's fucking garbage. This division is bullshit. All four teams in this division, fuck them. With that being said, uh, a lot of people are gonna be mad at me, but fuck it. The Giants are actually playing decent football the past couple weeks. They had a Monday night game versus Tampa, and it was closer than people expected it to be. A lot of people were shocked and surprised to see how close that game was. The Giants are coming on. I said all season long, I picked Philadelphia to win the NFC least because I figured by default they had the best quarterback in the division, especially once Dak Prescott went down. I might change that. The Giants could win this division. And I might change something else that I've been saying. Daniel Jones, right now, is the best quarterback in the NFC East. Jones had a great day on Sunday. On passes 10, or, 10 yards or more downfield, he was 7 of 9 for a buck 67, coming out to 18.6 yards in attempt. Against the 21st ranked coverage unit in the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles. And for the second game in a row, Daniel Jones, who's usually a turnover machine, had zero turnovers. This is progress. This is a step in the right direction. Not only was Jones slinging it through the air, 
He gives you a lot of value on the ground. He's a very underrated athlete. The guy can run. He has 66 yards in this game on seven carries. Averaging, he's now averaging over eight yards per carry in the season. So he's giving you value both in the air and on the ground, not committing turnovers, taking care of the football, getting different guys involved, Golden Tate, Slayton, Ingram, Shepard, you know, you know, Wayne Gallman at the backfield, he ran for a touchdown. The offensive line is coming along now. The Giants are starting to play some good football, and I, I'm going to make the bold prediction right now. The New York Giants are going to win the NFC East. The Philadelphia Eagles, you know, Philadelphia usually gets off to a slow start, and they figure it out down the stretch, and they kind of eat back into the playoffs. It happened last year. I don't see it happening this year. You know, Carson Wentz has not looked right all season. He looked terrible in this game yet. Only completed 50%, 57% of his passes. And you can, normally with the Eagles, you can look at the, the drops by the receiver, especially when they had Nelson Aguilar couldn't catch coronavirus with no mask on. Um, but their, their receivers, you can't even blame them for the performance last Sunday. That was on Wentz. Wentz was inaccurate and off target. Poor footwork, poor mechanics, poor everything. Poor coaching by Doug Peterson. Poor offense. They're another team that runs a bargain basement, great value version of Andy Reid's offense. Peterson and Nagy run Andy Reid's offense minus the imagination and creativity of Andy Reid. You just know what a shitty impression of it. That offense is nothing. Boston Scott and Miles Sanders had a good game on the ground, picking up about seven yards an attempt. Boston Scott ran for a touchdown, but it's hard to, like I always say, the quarterback position is the most important position in sports. Not just football, but in sports, period. And if your quarterback is out there stinking it up, what are you really going to do? And the coach was out there stinking it up. Like I said, Peterson's at fault here. There was a, a play in the game. I thought one of the most critical plays of the game, the critical juncture of this game. Giants are up 21 to 11. Boston Scott scores that touchdown that I was talking about. It's 21-17 Giants. The Eagles, idiotically, moronically, stupidly, decide to go for two-point conversion with five minutes to go in the third quarter. If you kick the extra point, it's 21-18. You're only down three, and it's the middle of the third quarter. They go for two. Carson Wentz gets sacked. It's 21-17. They end up losing the game 27-17. When asked to explain during the broadcast why the Eagles decided to go for two, the commentator said, because that's just what they do. So you're not even going to reference analytics. You're not even going to reference logic. It's just, that's what they do. You know what else the Philadelphia Eagles do? They fucking lose. Well, unless they're playing against the 49ers on Sunday Night Football. But other than that, they lose. But, silver lining, the Eagles are 3-5-1 and in first place in the most pathetic division in pro football. The NFC least get the entire division the fuck out of here. Moving on. The Washington professional football team that plays in Landover played the uh, Detroit Lions, lost 30 to 27. Pretty pretty entertaining game actually though. Uh, Detroit was up big. Washington made a comeback that fell just a little bit short. Alex Smith playing in his first NFL, actually his first NFL start in 728 days. Matter of fact, today is November 18th. So two years ago. Alex Smith suffered a gruesome leg injury, had his leg broken, tibia, fibula, catastrophic injury, compound fracture, similar to Joe Theismann, who did the exact same thing also on November 18th. So, future reference, if you're a Washington professional football team quarterback and you have a game scheduled for November 18th, 
take that day off. Call in sick. Come up with some excuse. You got stuck in traffic. Your baby's mother hit you up for twenty dollars. You had to go loan loan the money to her. Something happened. Something came up. Do not show up for work on November eighteenth if you're a Washington professional quarterback, because there's a good chance you're gonna have bones coming out of your fucking leg. But nevertheless, Alex Smith has persisted. Seventeen surgeries to save his life, to save his leg, and he's back on the field playing football, proving the point to his kids that perseverance and dedication matter. This was also a matchup with the two and the second and third draft picks in the 2020 NFL draft. Washington with the second pick to Chase Young out of Ohio State. Detroit with the third pick to Jeff Okuda, also out of the Ohio State University. Chase Young, not much of a game. He's played well all season, but not much of a game versus Detroit. A few pressures, but nothing, no sacks, nothing really like that. Jeff Okuda has struggled a little bit this season. A little slow to catch on. Corners sometimes do take a little bit longer to catch on. Well, Okuda played 33 snaps, gave up two catches for 40 yards. So probably his best game of the season, his best game as a rookie in the NFL. Uh, Terry McLaurin, also from The Ohio State University, has seven catches, 95 yards, had a fumble late that proved to be a little bit costly for Washington. Uh, Antonio Gibson, rookie running back for Washington, had 13 carries, 45 yards, and two touchdown scores on the day, though. J.D. McKissick, another running back for Washington, targeted 15 times, had seven catches, 43 yards out the backfield. Uh, for Detroit, Matt Stafford, 24, 33, 276, three touchdowns, no picks. Quarterback rating of 127.8, clean game from Matt Stafford. Marvin Jones Jr. stepping up um, with, with the absence of Kenny Galladay, eight catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. But back to Smith, 38, 55, 390 yards, no touchdowns. Um, it's kind of weird. 55 pass attempts, no touchdown passes. But last second attempt to win the game, a late drive in the fourth quarter, came up short, second week in a row for Smith. He was in a position to go win the game, didn't quite get it done. But for him, I mean, it's a personal victory. The guy's back on the field for the first time in seven, 728 days as a starter, going through everything he's gone through. So you, you give that man his proper respect. Don't question his toughness, the grit, the heart, you know, determination that he's shown. Um, but if you're going to evaluate him as a football player, as a quarterback, he's played decently, about as decent as a guy can play without having played in two years. Uh, hasn't been able to come out with a win yet. Washington's next game is against Cincinnati. That's a winnable game. We'll see what happens with that. Moving on, Tampa Bay, Carolina. Tampa Bay, 46-23. Tom Brady. The greatest quarterback of all time, the true and living GOAT, six-time Super Bowl champion, nine Super Bowl appearances, more than any other quarterback in NFL history. Bouncing back from a horrible performance last week versus New Orleans Saints. Matter of fact, the worst game Tom Brady's ever played was last Sunday night versus New Orleans Saints. But in typical Tom Brady fashion, he does not have Two bad games in a row. He bounces back from that terrible game last week versus New Orleans as a phenomenal game, electric performance last Sunday in the Queen City. 28 of 39, 341, three touchdowns, no picks, 14 of 22, 214 yards on, on passes that traveled more than 10 yards in the air. Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Ron Gronkowski, all had at least 50 yards receiving. Ronald Jones had a 98-yard rushing touchdown. 46 points the week after scoring three. The NFL is all about matchups. 
The NFL is, was, and always will be about blocking, tackling, matchups, and personnel. Clearly, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do not match up with the New Orleans Saints, but that's fine. You only got to play them twice a year against everyone else. This team is second in the league in scoring. They put up 45 against the Raiders a couple weeks ago and come out and put up 46 against their division rival Carolina last Sunday. My man Teddy Bridgewater, the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, got hurt in that game, sprained his MCL on his right knee. That's the opposite knee of the knee dislocated a few years ago. He was playing for the Minnesota Vikings in practice and was out for about a year, two years. Uh, it was fear. It was fear he might lose his leg after that injury. Uh, but thankfully, he's not on that same leg. And last reports that I'm reading right now, he is scheduled to practice today, so that's a good sign. So should be out there on Sunday. Uh, was hit by Jason Pierre-Paul late in the game. P.J. Walker came in, got his first NFL action to close out the 46-23 loss. My advice to Teddy Bridgewater going forward, next time you play against Tampa, and Jason Pierre-Paul is closing in on a sack, detonate some fireworks and blow up the rest of what's remaining of Jason Pierre-Paul's hand. That should take care of that problem. Let's go out to the desert and what was the game of the day. The Arizona Cardinals, fuck them, versus the Buffalo Bills, Arizona 32, Buffalo 30. The play of the season. Let's just talk about that. Let's just skip to the end of the game. Josh Allen hits Stephon Diggs in the end zone on a laser shot for a touchdown to put Buffalo up 30-26. to Arizona gets the ball less than a minute to go, no timeouts. They get to midfield, less than 10 seconds left to go. Kyler Murray flushed out of the pocket, rolling to his left launches a missile downfield to DeAndre Hopkins, who's in triple coverage. Jordan Poyer, Mika Hyde, Tredavious White, covering DeAndre Hopkins on this play. Those are three good football players. Those are three quality football players I just named. It's not scrubs, not bums. Kyler Murray launches this pass in the air about 50 yards, rolling to his left, flick of the wrist, 50 yards downfield. DeAndre Hopkins rises like a phoenix from the ashes, snatches this ball out the air in between those three good football players, Mika Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Tredavious White, and makes this catch. You know what that catch reminded me of? It's like going to a wedding and the bride throws that bouquet onto the floor and you got all the you know, bridesmaids and women who are not married yet fighting over the bouquet because as tradition states, whoever catches that wedding bouquet will be the woman who gets married next. And the thirstiest woman out the bunch, like 42, going through menopause, hasn't been married yet, no kids, is looking to find anybody. She fights and just beats the shit out of every woman on the floor to get that bouquet. That's what DeAndre Hopkins looked like to me on that play. That was a grown man catch. And that's further indication that DeAndre Hopkins is, all things considered to me right now, the best wide receiver in the National Football League. And even further indictment on the absolute stupidity of former Houston Texans head coach Bill O'Brien. What the fuck was this guy thinking trading DeAndre Hopkins, who's in the conversation at least, at the very least, the bare minimum in the conversation of being the best wide receiver in pro football. You trade him at 27 years of age in his prime to the Arizona Cardinals for a second-round draft pick and the scattered remains of David Johnson. If David Johnson were a car, he'd be an 2 Toyota Corolla that's leaking radiator fluid, has 280,000 miles on it, needs a new transmission and has a fucked up alternator, the gas pipe is cracked, the taillights don't blink, 
The windshield is, is also cracked. That would be David Johnson if he were a vehicle. DeAndre Hopkins would be the brand new Ferrari that just came out. No one in their right mind would trade in a 2020 or 2021 Ferrari for an 02 Toyota Corolla that's fucked up. That on some mornings don't even start. Nobody would do that. It was like in a football sense, nobody in their right mind would even entertain the thought of trading DeAndre Hopkins in his prime for David Johnson. Get the fuck out of here. That's insane. That's lunacy. How does that happen? I'm so mad at that deal. As a 49er fan, I'm pissed off about that deal. When I found out about that, I was like, get the fuck out of here. I hate Bill O'Brien. You're going to trade the best receiver in the game to one of our division rivals, an NFC West team. So now we got to deal with that twice a year from a 49er fan perspective. Now we got to deal with DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray twice a year, plus Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf twice a year. Fuck you, Bill O'Brien. On behalf of all Houston Texans fans, on behalf of all 49er fans who now got to deal with DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins twice a year, fuck you, Bill O'Brien. Go to hell. That was a hell of a catch. Colin Murray, if he's not in the MVP conversation, he should be. This brother is on track, on pace, to throw for 4,000 yards and rush for over 1,000 yards. That's unprecedented. No one in the history of the league the 100-year history of the National Football League has ever done that. Now, Mahomes will probably end up getting MVP because he's on a ridiculous pace right now. He's done 25 touchdown passes and one interception. That's video game numbers. But that's Patrick Mahomes. He's in a different stratosphere. But Colin Murray's on his way. He needs to clean up some of his accuracy issues. He did miss Larry Fitzgerald. who was wide open uh, in the third quarter of this game and led to an interception. It actually, it, it bounced off of Larry Fitzgerald into the hands of, I think, Jordan Poyer for a Buffalo interception. And Kyler will miss some throws like that. But what he brings to the game as both a runner and a passer, it's, he might be the most difficult player in the league in game plan for. I don't know how you defend this. With that offense and the evolution of it, that air raid offense, Cliff Kingsbury bringing that from Texas Tech to the NFL, and with the perfect guy to run it, Arizona 6-3 and three right now. That team is scary, uh, much to my chagrin. But as a football fan, I appreciate watching Colin Murray play. He's a great player. Can't say nothing away from him. Isaiah Simmons on defense, their first-round draft pick. He's getting better by the game. Buda Baker. And like I said, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald. Kenyon Drake, the guy from the Miami Dolphins last year, had, had over 100 yards rushing in this game. That team is coming along, and that team, they got potential to make some noise in the NFC playoffs going forward. We'll see what happens with that. But Arizona with a big-time win, 32-30 over Buffalo, the game of the, of the week, maybe the game of the year, play of the year, definitely in the NFL so far this season. Sticking with the NFC West, let's go to SoFi Stadium, brand-new SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, Rams versus Seahawks. Rams 23, Seahawks 16. Russell Wilson, a little bit of a downslope. Uh, second half of the season so far, turning the ball over a lot. In this particular game, Russ was 22 or 37, 248 yards, two interceptions, one in the red zone, in the end zone, actually. Much of those failures can be attributed to Jalen Ramsey, the star corner for the L.A. Rams that they got in trade from Jacksonville Jaguars last season. Ramsey was on the field for 44 snaps, only targeted twice and allowed his one five-yard completion. D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett combined for only seven catches and 94 yards. It's the fewest they've had all season. The Rams secondary has only given up 36 completions of 15 yards or more. 
Seattle's pass defense, which is historically bad, gave up 302 yards passing to Jared Goff, 131 of those yards coming out of play action. I love watching the Seahawks struggle and suffer and fail. I was a 49er fan. It warms my heart. It sucks that we couldn't beat them. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo threw for 84 yards against them. Last week, Josh Allen threw for 408. And in this past game, Jared Goff throws for 302. Just point that out. But I love watching this team lose. I, mean, I hate both of these teams, but I love watching Seattle lose more because it just feels more personal with them. 6-3 for the Rams, 6-3 for the Seahawks, 6-3 for the Cardinals. Those three teams make up a first-place tie atop the NFC West. Tomorrow night, Thursday night football, Cardinals and Seahawks will play. It should be a good game. Which brings me to the team sitting in the bottom of the NFC West. The 4-6 San Francisco 49ers are defending NFC West champions from a year ago, defending NFC champions. Sitting at 4-6 and six right now. How's that revenge tour going? Not going too well. Uh, 27-13 loss on Sunday versus the New Orleans Saints. In a game, I figured it would be close because New Orleans destroyed Tampa last week. And it's rare you see a team just come out and just blow the doors off somebody two weeks in a row. And we got our asses kicked the past two weeks, really. Uh, the, Green, the Thursday night game versus Green Bay was ugly. That game shouldn't, that game should not have been played. I'm going to go ahead and bitch about that real quick. That game should not have been played. We had a bunch of guys test positive for COVID or false positives, but they were ruled out for the Thursday game, so they couldn't play. We're out there playing with practice squad guys, but every other team that had a COVID scare got their game moved to another day. Buffalo had that happen for them. New England had that happen for them. San Francisco has a COVID outbreak, and they're still playing the game as scheduled the following day. With half our fucking team hooked up to the ICU. Half the team's already hurt anyway. Now you got guys out for COVID. So this, what was left of the San Francisco 49ers had to go out and get embarrassed by the Green Bay Packers. But that's neither here nor there. But I figured this game would be a, a little bit closer. Um, 49ers were in that game for much of it, but just couldn't capitalize and beat themselves in a lot of ways. Special teams was a pure disaster for the 49ers in that game. Gave up a couple of big returns. And the game really switched. The momentum really switched on two muff punts. Uh, R- Richie James Jr. had a muff that led to a same score. Trent Taylor called for a fair catch but didn't actually catch it. I just found that interesting. The ball bounced off another 49er. That was a fumble. Saints ball. The Saints primarily scored on short fields from those muff punts. They really only had one drive in the game. And went, and went the length of the field for a touchdown. So the 49ers just gave away 14 points with poor special teams play. Nick Mullins is, once again, an undrafted free agent quarterback making $650,000 a year. He, he looks every bit of that. A poor man's Ryan Fitzpatrick. When there's no pressure on him, he'll play well. Raise the level of expectations, he'll struggle. He'll make a couple of nice throws here and there, but overall, he can't put it together for a full, complete game. Got off to a great start. First drive of the game, let him downfield through a touchdown pass to Brandon Ayuk. Ayuk was targeted 14 times in that game and seven catches. You can tell Mullins really is looking for Ayuk. But the 14 targets speak for itself. He's also looking for Jordan Reed a lot. But Mullins had a soul-crushing interception in the Third quarter, scores 20-10, to 10, 49ers putting, putting together a drive. 
in Saints territory at the 30-yard line, a third down. Looking for Ayuk once again across the middle. So if I know he's looking for Ayuk, the defense definitely knows he's always looking for Ayuk. So does Malcolm Jenkins, who's staring down Nick Mullins the entire time as Nick Mullins is staring him down and makes an easy interception as the ball's thrown right to him. To me, that was the end of the game. You were driving at least, you know, as I'm watching the game, I'm saying to myself, you know, just don't turn it over. I jinxed him, I guess. Because we're at the 30-yard line. If you don't convert the third down, Robbie Golden come out there, kick the field goal, make it 20-13. to You're still in the game. But Mullins turned it over, Saints ball, and you end up losing 27-13. to This is who Nick Mullins is. He's just okay. He's decent. He's a backup quarterback for a reason. And a great game versus the Giants early in the year. That game seems like it happened 10 years ago. It might as well be ancient history. For me, I, I say San Francisco should just tank and just say, fuck it. They won't do that. They're going to play with pride. They're going to come out there. They're, they're the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers don't tank. You know, we're not the Jets. Four and six, I see no realistic possibility of this team making the playoffs this season. And this game was indicative of that. This game showed you why I feel that way. When Mullins at quarterback and with the litany of injuries this team has, you're missing the best tight end, not only on your team, but in the whole league. The offensive line is in shambles. Other than Trent Williams, that, that offensive line is embarrassing. The interior line was an issue last year. It's only gotten worse. Raheem Mostert out. Now, he's coming back. Uh, for the game on the 29th versus the Rams, week 12. Got a bye week this week, thank God. But for me, I just don't see a point to the rest of this season. Debo Samuel's going to come back. I would say keep him out. I would say keep Mostert out. Talking about bringing back Richard Sherman for what? Where is this team realistically going? Just lose out and get a good draft pick from next year. What's the sense in going 6-10, and 7-9? You don't play in the NFC East. You're not going to win your division with a shitty record like that. What is the point? Right now, the 49ers are projected to have the 12th pick in the draft in next year's draft. Just keep losing. Just keep losing. Creep into the top 10. What is the point? Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch signed contract extensions in the offseason. You're good. You ain't going anywhere. You ain't going to worry about getting fired. You went to the Super Bowl last season. You're good. You have about five or six more years left. Just tank the rest of this season and get in a good position to get a quality quarterback to lead this team going forward. That's what I would do. It's not going to happen. They're not going to do that. That's personally what I would do. Back to this Saints game. Jet lag McKinnon provides nothing in the run game. You know, him and Trent Taylor, those are Kyle's guys. They're going to play every week until they get hurt. I don't understand the point of either one of them being on the field. They don't provide anything positive. I call him Jet lag McKinnon for a reason. He has no burst. He can't run fast anymore. I would think that'd be one of the requirements to play running back. You have to run fast. Jet lag McKinnon runs like he has a piano on his back. He's slow. Trent Taylor is also slow. He's had his own share of injuries over the years. He can't run either. He can't get out of his brakes. He can't run routes. Apparently, he can't even field punts. Why is this slow-ass dude back there returning punts anyway? Trent Taylor runs like he's stuck in quicksand. Richie James was returning punts, and he muffed it. And I thought about it to myself during the game. I was like, I don't remember the last time a 49er returned a kick for a touchdown. When was the last time we had a special teams touchdown? The only one I can even think of is Ted Ginn with a kickoff, two back-to-back kickoff returns, a kickoff and a punt return versus Seattle in like 2011. It was nine years ago. I'm so frustrated. I'm frustrated with Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead 
If Eric Armstead shows up in the stat sheet, it's probably a typo. Eric Armstead is like a deadbeat father for this team. The same way a deadbeat father does not provide for his household, Eric Armstead does not provide for the San Francisco 49ers. On game days, Eric Armstead goes out to the liquor store for a pack of cigarettes and never comes back. They chose Armstead and Jimmy Ward over DeForest Buckner and where are the receipts? What have you gotten in return? The lone bright spot of the game was my man Contavious Street doing the Lord's work and taking out All Lives Matter Breeze. MAGA Breeze will stand for the anthem, but he couldn't stand up to the 49ers pass rush. He was taken out early, broken ribs, and a collapsed lung on a bullshit call by the refs. Contavious Street hits this man, does his job as a defensive lineman, hits Drew Breeze, makes the sack, flag on the play, unnecessary roughness, roughing the passer, because apparently Contavious Street fell too hard on Drew Breeze. This is the Aaron Rodgers rule. Aaron Rodgers hit a couple years ago by Anthony Barr from the Minnesota Vikings. And when that play, Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone. Everyone knows the quarterbacks are the star of the show. So the NFL is going to do whatever it takes to protect quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers got hurt, missed a bunch of games. So like I said, the NFL is going to always protect the quarterbacks. But this rule where a defensive player is supposed to sacrifice his own body to protect the quarterback is ridiculous to me. There was a brother playing for the Raiders about a year ago that got hurt towards ACL. We sacked Ryan Tannehill trying to play to the letter of the law, trying to play to the rule. He gave up his own body to make sure he didn't fall on top of Tannehill. Clay Matthews a couple years ago hit Alex Smith in the game and got flagged for a penalty because he fell on top of him. I can only imagine what quarterbacks from the 60s, 70s, 80s, early 90s are thinking when they watch games nowadays. Like, God damn, I wish we had that shit when I played. You know, I'm a football nerd. I watched these games from 30 or 40 years ago. You watch these games, quarterbacks back in those days got mauled. They got destroyed. It was open season. Anything goes. Getting fucked up out there with a flag nowhere near in sight. Contavia Street hits Drew Brees. And to me, from what I saw, did what the rule was intended to do. He sacrificed his body. He and Breeze fell to the ground simultaneously, kind of side by side. But it was enough of Street's weight on top of Drew Breeze that he got injured on the play, broke his ribs and collapsed his, collapsed his lungs. So he's out for the rest of the game, stayed in the game for the remainder of the first half, and then for the second half, he's still on the sidelines. And with the absence of Drew Breeze, we got the greatest show in all of professional football. The most electrifying man in the NFL, the whole fucking show. My man, Jameis Winston, a.k.a. Jameis Crablegs. Jameis Crablegs came in the game, managed the game just fine, didn't really fuck up, didn't really light it up either, but there was one play where he threw a, what should have been pick six, a walk-in interception return for a touchdown to Jimmy Ward, the aforementioned Jimmy, Jimmy Ward, and Jimmy Ward being the non-playmaking safety that he is, dropped the easy pick. Jameis Winston served up a plate of crab legs to Jimmy Ward, and apparently he wasn't hungry. Drops the easy pick. At that point, it's 20 to 10 New Orleans. They're in their own territory. And like I said, Jimmy Ward would have just walked into the end zone if he had made this easy pick that Jameis crab legs threw to him. The organization chose deadbeat dad Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward instead of paying DeForest Buckner. Shit like that. It's just frustrating to watch. And to see this team, the defense played played their asses off in that game. They gave this team every opportunity to win. 
It just wasn't meant to be. C.J. Gardner-Johnson from the Saints, the nickel corner, won this game pretty much single-handedly defensively. No adjustments were made. This dude was blitzing off the edge relentlessly the entire game, looking directly into the backfield before the ball is snapped. He knows what's coming, and he just comes in either unimpeded or jet lag. McKinnon did a poor job with blitz pickup, got run over a couple of times in that game by either C.J. Gardner-Johnson or Demario Davis. The 49ers did what they could, but at the end of the day, as I said previously, Football is, was, and always will be a game about blocking, tackling, matchups, and personnel. The 49ers don't block that well. They tackle pretty good still. They don't match up with a lot of teams because of all the injuries they've had, and the personnel is depleted. $80 million is on injured reserve right now. This season is a wash. They'll probably finish 6-10. and 10. I would personally recommend finishing 4-12, and 12, but like I said, they have too much pride for that. They still compete. They still play at a high level. Guys going out there still playing hard for Coach Shanahan, but the talent just isn't there. Uh, once again, $80 million is on injured reserve right now. The talent is gone from this team for the most part. Outside of Washington and Dallas, I don't expect any more wins this year. That's why I say 6-10. and 10. And that's just what it is. The revenge tour wasn't meant to be. Super Bowl hangover. To call it a hangover will be an understatement. This team drank a fifth of E&J. A fifth of Kentucky gentlemen chased that with some old E and then washed that down further with some 211 steel reserve, got drunk, took a piss in their friend's, their best friend's closet, and then the next morning had no recollection of anything that happened the night before. That's how hungover the 49ers are from going to the Super Bowl last year. There are consequences to losing that game. And for the 49ers, the 2020 season is an absolute dud. Let's just be honest with ourselves, full transparency, call it like I see it. Moving on to the Sunday night football game, Patriots and Ravens. Patriots win 23-17. Uh, Jacoby Myers, Patriots receiver, I thought was a player of the game. He threw a 24-yard touchdown pass to Rex Burkhead. He also had seven catches, I'm sorry, five catches on seven targets for 59 yards. Cam Newton did his job, no turnovers, took care of the ball, kept the game moving, scored a rushing touchdown, he played well. Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the Ravens, 24, 34, 249, two touchdowns, 55 yards rushing. And one bad pick to J.C. Jackson, trying to force a ball down the sideline to Marquise Hollywood Brown. Brown was critical, um, spoke out a little bit about the lack of targets he's getting. He doesn't run good enough routes. Uh, he needs to run better routes. If you want to get targeted, run better routes. It's just that simple. Uh, you're not on the level of your cousin Antonio Brown to be speaking out to the media and demanding that you get more targets and more passes thrown your way. Run better and more aggressive routes. Ask Dante Pettis about running routes. Actually, don't ask Dante Pettis about running routes because he can't do it either, and he's cur- he was dropped by the 49ers and picked up by the Giants. So if you want to stay on your current team as a wide receiver, run better and more aggressive routes and stop talking shit in the media when you haven't proven yourself yet. A lot of people are critical of Lamar. Lamar, I thought, played a good game outside of that throw to JC that was picked off by JC Jackson. I thought Lamar played a decent game. A lot of drops in that game. Uh, the center for the Ravens was horrible all night. A lot of bad snaps. It cost the Ravens field positioning. Uh, would not put that loss on Lamar. A lot of people will because the quarterback. A lot of people hate Lamar for a myriad of reasons or they just want to blame him all the time, but. I personally wouldn't put that loss on Lamar. I think that was a team failure. Lamar has no weapons to throw to. 
Uh, and Greg Roman calling the plays. There's zero imagination in the play calling for the Baltimore Ravens. They are running a simplistic offense that teams have figured out. Lamar even went on Rich Eisen's show and said that teams are calling out their plays pre-snap. Once they get the look at the formation, they understand. They already know from watching tape what the Ravens are going to do. Because it's very predictable. So that's, that speaks back to Greg Roman. He made the same mistakes with Colin Kaepernick. Made the same mistakes with Tyrod Taylor when he was offensive coordinator for those two guys. And is currently making the same mistakes for Lamar Jackson. But Patriots with the win over uh, over Baltimore in 23-17. Trying to keep pace in that tough division. Miami, 6-3. Tied for first place with Buffalo. Tua Tungvaloa, 3-0 and as a starter. That was a good, good decision by the guy. I would nominated for NFL Head Coach of the Year, Brian Flores, uh, benching Ryan Fitzpatrick. Controversial decision at the time, but it's bearing fruit right now. You see how well Tua was playing. They do a good job of using Tua's athleticism, getting him out the pocket, rolling him out, design rollouts, bootlegs. He gets a lot of yards after the catch. Uh, to be exact, 71.8 of Tua's passing yards come after the catch. Xavier Howard. Byron Jones, two six foot one corners from Miami, playing excellent football. Uh, Howard had a pick in that game versus the Chargers, returned it for 28 yards, had two passes defended. Kyle Van Noy, Ethan Rowe coming down from New England, along with Brian Flores. That defense is scary in Miami. Emmanuel Ogba, eight sacks in the season, tied for fourth in the NFL. Miami's a sleepy team, man. I don't, I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to Miami or giving them their, their full credit. That's a good football team. And they came out here and beat the dog shit out of the 49ers a couple weeks ago and really put everybody on notice, I thought, with that performance. That's a good team. They can win in a myriad of ways. They can win. They can beat you in all three phases of the game. Their offense can score. They block the punt in this game. Their special teams is good. And the defense is outstanding. So Miami is a tough football team I think more people should be paying attention to. Uh, Pittsburgh, Molly Wop, Cincinnati. That was expected. 36-10, 9-0 for the Steelers. Ben. 27 to 46, 333, four touchdowns. I'm going to say something right now, and this might be a hot take, but fuck it. That's what we do over here. We just, I just give my opinion. I just say things. You can react to it however you may please. Ben Roethlisberger all time is better than Drew Brees. I'll say that again. Ben Roethlisberger all time as a quarterback is better than Drew Brees. Save that argument for another time. But Pittsburgh 36 to 10 over Cincinnati. Green Bay, tough game, tougher than expected with Jacksonville. They were able to pull it out at the end. Green Bay is kind of suspect to me. They haven't beaten anybody really. I mean, who's the best team they've played and beaten? Like I said, they beat the COVID 19 49ers. They barely beat Jacksonville. They beat Atlanta early in the season. The best team Green Bay played against was Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay walked all over them. So I'm looking at Green Bay. To me, it's kind of a suspect team, but um, we'll see what happens going forward. But that'll about wrap it up for my Week 10 recap of the NFL football season. I'll be doing this. I try to get back to doing this every week, uh, recapping the entire week and not just talking about the 49ers all the time, uh, especially with our season going the way it's going. I'll still talk about the 49ers, but I'll try to get my input and reactions and opinions on the other teams as well. Uh, but once again, that about wraps it up for week 10 of the NFL football season. Sunday night, I'm sorry, Thursday night football season tomorrow. Arizona and Seattle should be a goodie. Thank you for once again for listening to the Deion Gordon podcast. I truly appreciate it. Always humble, eternally grateful. Picture me rolling. I'm out.